Hey there, Bucks fans. This is Steve Isbitz of JoeBucksFan.com, one of the Joes, and this is the revival edition. Yes, the revival edition of the Monday Morning Joe podcast. Believe it or not, May 21st, mark the calendar, mark the tape. I am here, and it is good to be here talking to you, and uh, what a day to come back and do this. Gerald McCoy launched late yesterday, and uh, the big dog, Steve Dumig, uh, my friend, friend of JoeBucksFan.com, an icon in town, passed away on Thursday, and uh, Lee DeCamper, the other Joe, and I wanted to really share, just scratch the surface on some of the memories of Steve Dumig, and our show, the Joe Bucks Fan Hour, that ran for about four years with Steve, sometimes without him when he was out ill for a stretch, and uh, really his impact on the Buccaneers and on the Tampa Bay community. I do close the podcast at the very end with a story uh, that uh, really sort of pulls it even deeper into the Bucks and into behind the scenes at One Buck, but there are so many of them, and I hope to share uh, some of them with Lee going forward. In the next Ira Kaufman podcast, we'll get Ira's take on uh, Steve Dumig, he'll scratch the surface a little bit to their relationship and uh, some of Steve's impact through the years. But uh, the podcast here, um, do I? Where have I been? What's been going on? Well, I guess I owe a little bit of an explanation, and of course, I have not been uh, dead or under the weather uh, for all these months. It's been uh, it's been since uh, the very end of January that I've been talking to you here like this, which I very much enjoy. It just got a little bit overwhelming with uh, other things going on. And doing a podcast by yourself, it's just a, it's a different animal than being out there, um, you know, yucking it up with Ira and Lee on Ira's podcast. Totally different animal. And, um, you know, basically, I have a few kids. My middle daughter got um, sick late last year, and... She got better, and it was kind of, you know, just wasn't having the best health year. And then uh, things uh, took a turn in the wrong direction uh, a little before the Super Bowl. And uh, basically, she was hospitalized. Turns out she has a chronic disease. And uh, thankfully, though, she's been in remission. Uh, it's been just about a few weeks now, officially, a couple of weeks. And that's a great thing. But it sort of hurt my mojo for the podcast, took a lot of my time, made some things uh impossible on my end to uh, pull off and um but you know what uh good things going forward for everybody uh, we hope and the podcast i am inspired being back here today to keep this thing flying and flowing forward i'll talk about that the podcast a little bit more at the end of the podcast where i actually tell a really cool story at the very end that i thought of and uh, because it really tied to a buccaneers coach and a direct conversation about steve dumig and I throw some more of that at the end. But a lot of you uh, might be tuning in for the first time. And uh, that's pretty cool. We are presented by Bill Curry Ford. Bill Curry Ford. Now, these are my friends. Sean Sullivan, general manager there. Fantastic guy. He's been in place at Bill Curry Ford, taking over, I don't know, nine months or so. And what a fantastic job he has done. Creating great opportunities for, for the people of Tampa and, uh, and the surrounding areas, of course. They are just north of the stadium on Dale Mabry Highway, a Tampa institution, Bill Curry Ford, home of the nationwide lifetime warranty on every new vehicle. It's a powertrain plus warranty, not just powertrain, and also on a good majority of the used vehicles. Nationwide lifetime warranty. 
and Bill Curry Ford does so much in the community. Uh, It goes on and on, the different things that they do. And you can uh, get a discount for mentioning the podcast. Just reach out to General Manager Sean Sullivan. You can find him on their website, BillCurryFord.com. His email is right there. Or you can pop into the dealership. I know many of the managers down there as well. Great Bucks fans. Longtime supporters of the Buccaneers. Their Bill Curry tailgated games is uh, well known. And uh, we appreciate all their support daily on the website and on our podcasts. Bill Curry Ford. You can just start shopping. BillCurryFord.com. That's the way we do it these days online, right? BillCurryFord.com. Thanks for their support. General Manager Sean Sullivan, he's going to take care of you. He will take care of you. If you reach out to him, he will give you that personal service. And everybody will over at Bill Curry Ford. Now, Gerald McCoy is gone. And I am cheering the move. I am cheering it, not because I'm a McCoy hater. I, I like McCoy. I thought he was a good football player. And yes, the Bucks weren't in a position to dump good football players. However, I like moving on from McCoy because I do see him as a player in decline. I've seen the various injuries that he's had, what he's played through, the medication in his locker that I once got reamed at uh, for writing about and mentioning in a story. And my attitude was, hey, his pill bottle was visible at a, in a locker when I was on the road covering the team. Why would I not mention what McCoy's taking? Uh, you know, and it was, it, that wasn't the crux of the story, but it was in there. And I was trying to paint a picture of a McCoy as a guy playing through tough stuff. Guy was on serious medication. Some, and some people might call it controversial. This is going back a few years. But he's played through a lot. And I don't think he's part of the next Buccaneers Super Bowl team. I really don't. And I really think there's time that you know, we talk about culture change, but then nobody wants to change it. Well, the way you change it is with new players and new coaches. And I think it was just time. And uh, will I be happy for McCoy if he goes to, say, the Browns and gets in the playoffs? Yeah, I will be. I, I'm not rooting against Gerald McCoy. He gave it his all on the field. And... Um, you know, was obviously never a problem off the field, was very much exemplary in a lot of ways. Now, you might not have liked his attitude. You might not have liked his whole vibe. Usually McCoy got in trouble when he opened up his mouth. He was bad at that. He didn't know how to create an image for himself, and maybe he wasn't trying, but a lot of people didn't like him. Again, I don't really care much about the personal side for a guy like McCoy who, you know, it's not like he was in trouble, not like I had a reason to dislike him like some people seem to have, he just uh, he wasn't the same player anymore. Bruce Arians said it. I don't know if I would have said it uh, like that because you know I don't think it helped anybody. But he wasn't the same guy. And at 31 years old, where, where was this going with McCoy? Were the Bucs going to win a Super Bowl this year? I don't think so. Was there any reason to think he was going to be a better player in 2020 year 11 of his career for next year when maybe they are contending for a Super Bowl. I don't think so. It was time. It was time. And maybe McCoy wasn't the right type of attitude player that the Bucks wanted for Bucko Bruce Arians at this time as they look to change the shape and the focus and the leadership of the defense. So I'm all for it. Good job, Bucks. I wish they would have gotten rid of more players. I really do. You know, that's usually what new regimes do, and it's very much a part of changing that culture and the mindset. And I'm not going to sit here and name a bunch of guys I wish they ditched, but McCoy 
was a key figure here, and some of those key figures needed to go just for the sake of uh, positive change that made sense. Again, I just don't think McCoy was going to be a part of our, our next Super Bowl, so I, I'm happy to wave goodbye. And what do they always say? Rather get rid of a player a year too soon than a year too late? Do I think McCoy is going to be a good player this year? I do. I think he'll just do what Gerald McCoy does. Now, you may not like that, but it was better than you think, and I think history will show that. Just looking back at McCoy a little bit, you know, those six Pro Bowls, three first-team All-Pros, 2012 through 2014. And one way I feel bad for McCoy through his career was in 2012, the Bucks had that great young defensive line. Michael Bennett, Roy Miller, Gerald McCoy. And they got rid of, they let Michael Bennett walk away for no good reason. And I mean, that, how do, how, if you're Gerald McCoy, how do you recover from something like that on the field? When you know how good Michael Bennett is and the franchise screwed itself. And uh, I felt bad for him just from that standpoint. They were the number one ranked rushing defense in the league. Uh, McCoy had busted through for his first Pro Bowl. I think he had nine or nine and a half sacks. And, but they broke it up. They decided to break it up. Whoever made that stupid decision, uh, screw them. I hate you. <laughs> In football terms. Uh, it was just dumb, and I felt bad for McCoy on that front. One thing also underrated for McCoy the next year, on a team that opened up 0-8, on a team that won four games and fired its head coach and was dragged down by MRSA and, and a bunch of nonsense and his quarterback melting down. In 2013, McCoy, another Pro Bowl, and another first-team All-Pro. That doesn't happen a lot on crap, crap teams, which the Bucks were brutal in 2013. Brutal. You know, that, that spoke a lot to McCoy. And, uh, you know, he had his final All-Pro in 2014. I remember talking to, what's his name? Sean Payton. He was the Pro Bowl coach two Pro Bowls ago. And I talked to him one-on-one -on -one about Gerald McCoy. And as Lee and I have done, Lee D. Camper of Joe Bucks fan, have done at different venues through the years, we've asked people in more, you know, more relaxed ways, hey, you know, a lot of fans are on McCoy. Are you seeing things on film? Is he not the same guy? What are you seeing? But not always on the record, right? This, this is just to, to gain some information and, and to get some background. And you'll be surprised how people will be honest or at least lead you to what you want to need to see or what they think you need to see. Well, Man, Sean Payton was downright almost defensive about McCoy. And it was a response Lee and I always would get is they'd be in disbelief, like Gerald McCoy, not a good player. What? Or they think Gerald McCoy is soft, or well, what are you talking about? And But what was interesting, of all the film that Sean Payton watches, at this Pro Bowl, he pointed me to the Pittsburgh Buccaneers game tape that he remembered watching of McCoy in 2014 and how the guy just completely dominated in that game and uh, that he suggested I watch film of that game and show it to somebody who doesn't think uh, McCoy is a superstar now that granted that was like four-year-old film that he was pointing me to but he was very adamant and uh, McCoy really had probably four phenomenal seasons and other seasons where he you know wasn't at the same level but he really did battle through a, a lot early injuries and uh, and and the fact that Damakong Su, his uh, 
draft mate, if you will, the guy picked number two when McCoy was taken number three in 2010, had so much early success and was so durable. He's only missed two games in his career. McCoy didn't have that, but he shined and he did well for the Bucks. And um, you, know, you can't blame everything on Gerald McCoy like a lot of people want to do, but I'm happy he's gone. I am sitting here happy that they have decided to move on because it was time. It was time for the Bucks. It was time for McCoy. And I think McCoy's attitude, uh, it just wasn't the, the right fit for a guy who was sort of thrust into a leadership position, who also took on a leadership position because there was a lack of leadership. I think McCoy was just bad at that. Uh, he tried, and he was great to young players and would do anything to help them and, and did a lot of great leadership things, taking the team out to dinner, trying to bond with them. He paid for his whole defensive line to come to the Pro Bowl in Hawaii to uh, as a thanks, as a team thing. He did a lot of stuff like that behind the scenes, and I'm not just talking about polar cups that you see him by the ICs at training camp. Real stuff. And, but he just wasn't very good at it. And one of the biggest things that, that really... I'll remember about McCoy with the off the field stuff, aside from uh, apologizing to Ben Roethlisberger and raving about Tom Brady years ago in the locker room that didn't go over too well. I remember when McCoy talked about how Jameis needed to not grab a leadership role on the team and he was advising him not to do that and just relax and enjoy your rookie year because McCoy didn't enjoy his rookie year. He had too much pressure on himself and no veterans helped him and it was a really weird take about a guy's rookie year when he jumped into the league and his team was 10 and 6 and he had a young fun defensive head coach and a defensive line coach in Todd Wash who went on to a lot of success in the league you know a legit uh, position coach as well it was a little bit odd and struck me as McCoy's thought process maybe wasn't what every other player's is and the way he reflected but it's okay to be different but now he's gone and I'm kind of happy about it. It was time to move on. And for now, it's time to move on in the podcast to Lee D. Kemper and I talking about the Joe Bucks fan hour with Steve Dumig and looking back on our friend. And uh, I will have much more next week on some of the ripple effects of the McCoy situation because it's going to come fast and furious. I expect he'll have a new team next week. His teammates will react. And here's Lee D. Kemper and I talking about Steve Dumig. Enjoy. All right, so here's Lee D. Kemper, and gosh, we haven't done one of these solo-ly in a while, or just you and me, but it used to be you, me, and the big dog for almost four years, and gosh, we could sit here and probably tell stories upon stories of uh, what went on between the breaks and before the show and us BSing after the show and then Dumig freaking out, saying, I'm going to miss that left turn. If I don't make the left turn onto Gandhi by 616, I'm going to hit X traffic and, and all that stuff. You know, it was, it was fun times. It was uh, interesting times. Uh, my biggest memories of the show, and I know a lot of readers love the show, and considering how crappy everything else is on sports radio for the most part, I understand that. And, yes, I'm taking shots all over town. But, Lee, seriously, I think what made it go is that Dooming let us be us. And that's not uh, for everybody, but he really believed that it would be good radio. And I remember sometimes you would ask him once in a while, you'd say, oh, so Steve, how are the ratings doing? Uh, uh, how's the show doing? He'd be like, if it's not, it wasn't working, you wouldn't be on the air, young man, or something <laughs> like that. Well, I do remember uh, they had a sales exec come in 
It wasn't just with 620. He was with uh, iHeart. He was a heavy hitter. And he came in one time, and he told us the highest ratings they had for an hour every week was the Joe Buck's Fan Hour. You know, why that came to an end, um, i still suspicious, but their loss, not ours. Yeah, it, it was fun time. And, and I do know that when we, we started up with, with Steve for the Joe Buck's Fan Hour, you know, I went up to Steve and I said, Steve, I want this to sound like three guys in a bar arguing sports. And I think that worked. I, I, I think that's why it resonated. Because it was three guys, like three regular guys at a bar having a couple of beers talking bucks. And that, that was my goal. And, and I think it worked. Yeah, and unlike most of what you hear on the radio, usually there's at least a production meeting and they sit around and decide what they're going to talk about and schedule stuff out. We never had a production meeting. Dumick typically, what I'd walk in and be like, uh, you got juice? <laughs> Because I got juice. And I'd be like, I got juice, Steve. He'd be like, all right, you better got juice. And then he'd, be, he'd yell at you, put that phone down. And you'd be like, Steve, I'm trying to stay with the latest news. He'd be like, ah. <laughs> well, you know what? I, and I'm not, trying to compare, I'm not trying to compare us to the NFL Network and to a, a, a wildly successful show. But Good Morning Football, they don't have production meetings. They just show up and like, they throw a couple subjects out and away they go. They pretty much wing it and it works. And most of these shows, like on ESPN, they're all pretty, I mean, right down to the script. They have scripts. You can't deviate from the script. There was no script with us and Dumig. Yeah, I never heard about that with Good Morning Football. And I, I almost, it's hard to believe just because, you know, they start talking about a topic. Then all of a sudden you see all the background highlights of a guy. You would think that that's scripted, but mm-hmm. maybe they have a team that puts it together on the fly. I I, I'm, I'm sure they, they come up with subjects beforehand, but it's not scripted. It's not like, okay, right. you say this, you say that. You, you know, for example, that this, and I, I'm, I'm going to call the guy out. You're going you're gonna to say something that's stupid, you better, better suck it up. David Carr comes out on the NFL Network. It's not Good Morning Football. And he actually says, comes out with top 10 Super Bowl quarterbacks. Joe Montana's not on it. I mean, that's beyond absurd. You know they came around like, okay, you say this. Like, what? That's hot take BS. Yeah. And I, I, that, that's just... That's just beyond comprehension, you know. I'm not going to get into that, but, you know, I, I think, again, the reason why it worked with us and Steve, it wasn't scripted. Yeah, it was never scripted in any way, uh, really, <laughs> really at all. Not at all. Not, not even in the slightest. I mean, and sometimes we would say, hey, Steve, let's talk about this, but we're talking about 30 seconds before we went on the right. air. Yeah, that's not scripted. Or no. I, you know, I might bring this up, and he'd always have his yellow legal pad. Yes. Of, of stuff to bring to the table. And his iPad going. And his iPad, and uh, it was always funny when he'd get a, a, a Twitter message or a text from somebody in the media who would uh, piss him off or be like, oh, you can't say that, or those Joe Bucks fan guys, he'd start screaming in the break, this a-hole has the nerve to send me a Twitter message on the air. You know, it was and it o- happened all the time. It really did. And, and, I'll was- never, and I'll never forget one time, I even got text messages from a guy in the media room dropping F-bombs on me. Yeah. I'll never forget that. Well, we're live on the air. Yeah, that blew my mind. Well, it was interesting stepping into that world of Dooming where a lot of people felt they had to listen, and even though they hated him. And that was really the bottom line is that, I mean, the media used to say so much stuff behind his back, and, you know, this guy, and, oh, he's not in the locker room. What does he know? He's a big blowhard. And you and I both knew that his sources were extraordinary. Oh, my gosh. Oh, here's a great story. I mean, he'd be getting the texts when we were on the air. He'd be like, oh, it's, it's this guy. It's that guy. From the guy. Bucks, yeah. Yeah, or whoever. Yeah. I mean, he would actually, yeah, executives from the Bucks 
will be texting him while he's on the air. I, I don't think that happened too often with the other guys in the media room that that would happen. <laughs> uh, I will see this, and this was still hilarious. This is a great story. This was in the book that never was published. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately. The, and this is what Doomy told me. I wasn't there when this happened, but I'm recounting Steve's story. He used to be a part owner of a bar, a very upscale bar in, in uh, Clearwater on Olmerton Road called The Venue. And the story, you can just write a book on the stories of that bar and all the sports people that showed up and paid homage to Steve and all the things he heard. Uh, for example, Rays players, most of them lived in Tampa. That was on their way home after games. And the stuff that went on, you know, Rays players go there, they have a couple, couple cold ones. Yeah, they party got spot. Loose. Yeah, night spot. Yeah, and they would drop stuff on Steve that was just unreal. Anyway, Steve was at his bar one night, uh, the venue again. It was about 11, 11.30 on a Friday night, nondescript Friday night. All of a sudden, his phone starts ringing. He looks at it. Bruce Allen. He's like, whoa, this must be pretty huge. 11.30 on a Friday night, Bruce Allen's calling me? What is this? He picks it up. It's Chucky. Chucky drunk dialed him. And Chucky's like, hey, Steve, you with me, man? You with me? And him and Bruce Allen, Chucky and Bruce Allen were out somewhere in South Tampa, partying up, getting hammered. Or at least Chucky was already Somewhere, hammered. yeah. And he decided to drunk dial Doombig. Apparently, Bruce Allen went to certain things need to be taken care of when you're out drinking. And he was out doing that. And he left his phone on the table. And Chucky's just scrolling through his contacts. And he sees Dumig, and he, he, he decides to call Dumig up at 11.30 on a Friday night. You with me, Steve? You with me? <laughs> yeah, there were so many interesting stories. And, you know, Dumig, to his credit, and I think a lot of people don't realize it, he just passed away, 64 years old. He was very ahead of the curve technology-wise. Steve was always, he was all over the Internet early. He was a guy always looking for an edge uh, from apps to whatever it was, but early, always way ahead of the curve uh, for his preparation. From Slingbox, Slingbox, which he used to, oh, that's uh, right. uh, to which he used to promote, and all kinds of things, to be ahead for his study, because the guy put in endless amounts of work just to be ready for the shows that he did. And in 2008, he started reading Joe Buck's fan when we started, and it didn't take Steve very long to realize that hey, th this is where it's at. Like he liked it and he got it and he understood it, and not a lot of guys his age from. His background really would understand what Joe Buck's fan was right out of the gate, but he got it. And I forget if it was you or I who was in touch with Dooming. I don't remember exactly, but he was really a big part of getting us to the station and being a part of the fabric of the station in 2009 when we started to do some online work for their website. We weren't on the air, mm -hmm. but they used to have a website called Buck's Country that was combination six a 620 a property along with, I think it was 103.5. Yeah, the country station. Yeah, and they had a website called Bucks Country that we were providing content for. I had access to the system, and Steve brought us on the air here and there. He was very yeah, leery in the beginning of putting us on the air, but uh, he really pushed to get us involved in the station, which he did, and he, it led to that. And then uh, 2009 came around, Lee, and it was really a classic historic story, and it spoke to Dumig's loyalty because... WDAE at the time, different management in place, they applied to the Buccaneers to get us credentials to write for their website, right? So this was the flagship station back then. They weren't on 98 Rock. They were on WDAE. And the boss of DAE asked the Bucks, hey, flagship, we're your partner. We need credentials for Joe Bucks fan because they're writing for our website. And the Bucks at the time had told us, 
well, sure, we'll let you into the games, but you need to be affiliated with a major media outlet. We don't do blogs. And this is 2008. So we're like, okay, we'll, we'll make that happen. Don't worry about it. Well, sure enough, the Buccaneers applied for credentials for Joe Buck's fan in, eh, say, August, July 2009, and they get denied. Uh, here we are, just a tiny little blog in, in 2009. New era, you know, Chucky's gone. Couldn't blame Chucky or anything, right? We got Raheem Morris in there. Well, DAE was, was pissed, and they were upset with the Bucks. But Dumig was furious. That guy, he went nuts, and he set out to find out why. He started talking to everybody at the Bucks, everybody around town that he could. And, you know, the Bucks officials talked to him. And you know what Dumig concluded? His conclusion was that Buter Report was telling lies about Joe Buck's fan to the Buccaneers and misrepresenting us. And Dumig decided, okay, Pewter Report, we're going to pull the plug on you because you're not being loyal to me uh, because we're a family around here. And how dare you do that to somebody I care about? You're out forever from my show. And that's how it went down. That's how loyal he was. And what made that neatly was that it didn't put us on the air. It just, and we didn't ever got credentials, but Dumig wasn't going to let a misdeed, a loyalty deed go unpunished, and that's the kind of guy he was. Well, I have another, and it's maybe a, a better story uh, about Steve's loyalty. And again, it, it dealt with Raheem Morris. Remember when Raheem went on Dumig's show? Yep. And he talked about, this is during the strike. And mind you, the strike, the NFL was pretty clear. Team officials, team executives, team employees were to have zero, emphasize zero, contact with players 2000, 2011 lockout lockout okay zero contact whatsoever well Raheem goes on Steve's show and he's talking about how he keeps in contact with Kellen Winslow all the time and a few others well this is on a 50,000 what was what was Steve's listening audience how many hundreds of thousands of people well you know I, I the ratings varied but for the, the Bucks head coach to be on it was promoted easily easily 60,000 people he's heard Raheem Morris on Steve's show that day. And so, you know, we wrote it up. It's like, wow, Raheem's talking to players. Well, Raheem got fined by the NFL as a result. And it cost him six figures. And Steve went bonkers on us. Called us snitches, <laughs> even though I still can't figure out how you can snitch something that is on a public airwaves that 60,000 people heard about, knew about, how that could be snitching. Well, this is the all-time classic story, really, with Dooming, because, so it's 2011, and we weren't on the air with him yet. We, mm-hmm. once, in a, once or twice, he'd bring me on, uh, I think you were on once or twice, uh, once was regarding the whole Aqib Talib and the cabbie thing. Because Steve knew that I went to the courthouse and actually pulled the <laughs> arrest affidavit on Talib, which what no what was never reported in the newspaper was that Talib, when they pulled up when he was in the in the cop car when they pulled up to the jail, he was actually kicking inside the back seat of the cop car. He was going wild, like literally going wild, like mm-hmm. kicking and bashing his legs everywhere and trying to kick out, and he was just wasted. And this is all written up. And Steve uh, was really wanted to know what happened. Turned out because that night started with Talib was at the venue where Steve uh, had the ownership interest. So he was extra interested. Plus, it was juice, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Steve had a very close contact with NFL security that uh, we know that. I mean, he dug up a lot of stuff from that because he just knew the guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, Duma got great information. But Steve's contacts were vast. Oh, incredible. So going back to Raheem. So here's the stage, Lee, because I remember Dumig went wild on me on text, and then he called me up, 
and emails, mm -hmm. and uh, I actually still have the couple of the emails from him <laughs> from that day. And he's just freaking out like you. How dare you on my show? Write a you know a snitch on the coach, and he's on my. You know what are you? What are you just trying to get clicks and this and that? And it's my show, and that's my guest, and that's disloyal, and you mother effer, and all this stuff. So I'm like Steve, take a freaking deep breath. And I was yelling at him. Mm -hmm. I'm like Steve, the guy said all this on your fifty thousand watt station. You got massive ratings. Bucks officials were in the room. The nobody seemed to think it was a problem. You're Otherwise, a, they would have shut it down. Yeah, I'm like, Steve, you're a smart guy. You didn't even know that what he was saying. He was talking to you. I said, Bucks Media Relations was there. I'm like, Steve, it's on the website for everybody to listen to. Nobody thought this was a problem. So you know what? I waited 24 hours figuring, well, maybe they'll take it down or, or maybe maybe Raheem will close the show and say, hey, I misspoke earlier. You know, or you would correct him the next day. Nobody seemed to care. So I wrote it up. You know, hey, he's talking to LeGarrette Blount, who's working out in South Tampa, whatever. You know, I mean, you're going to blame me for something on your airwaves? And he's like, you're damn right I am. You. <laughs> <laughs> so Dumick didn't talk to me for at least a year, at least a year. And um, in 2013, you know, we still had a relationship with the station, but management changed again, and they basically didn't do what, what they didn't really hold up their end of the bargain. For some of the online stuff so it just kind of faded faded away and in 2013 i had been doing some work for a cbs radio station that folded anyway i'm like all right so i approached dumig and i said uh steve i went to it to his bar the uh, in clearwater a uh, different bar different bar oh was that the uh the uh, okay geiger's back door bar yeah, yeah. yeah so i i went up to steve and we had set a meeting i'm like hey uh, can we get together and talk so he's like, yeah, sure, no problem. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to go meet the godfather at the, at the bar. So we sit down, we're having some vodka, you know, typically Steve's uh, drink of choice. And I said, look, uh, you know, I, I think we could do some great things together. I said, I'm, I'm making a new partnership with the new management at the station. And, you know, I, I think we should get on the air with you. And, and uh, I think we could really do some fun stuff bringing Joe Buck's fan to your show. He's like, what do you got in mind? He's looking at me like, you're, after that, you're going you're gonna, to, what do you, what do you got in mind? So I'm like, well, how about Lee and I sit down and do an hour with you uh, every week? And we'll just, uh, you know, but it's got to stay in the theme of, of Joe Buck's fan, right? We got to keep the same attitude. Got to be us. Mm -hmm. And he's looking at me. He's like, he's like, you, you want to do an infomercial on my show? Is that, I'm, I'm like, <laughs> no, no, Steve. I'm, you know, I, you know, I said, uh, I said, I just think, uh, I think it'll work. And hey, I'm giving it my best shot. So he's talking about what it might be, and I said to him, I'll never forget, I looked at him, I said, Steve, but you have to let me, if I disagree with you, you got to let me sort of call you an idiot, or you don't know what you're talking about. And he looks at me, he starts screaming, he's like, you don't think I know good radio, you don't think I could take it? <laughs> he's like, these callers, they can't give it back to me, I could take it, what are you talking about? He said, uh, you know, this will work. I said, well, as long as you let me and Lee just be ourselves, you don't know where that's going to go. And uh, then he was talking some more, he's like, well... When would we start in uh, you know, uh, training camp? I'm like, how about next week? He's, he's like, oh, year round? I'm like, yeah, year round. It's the Bucks. He's like, all right, let's do it. Let's do it. I like it. I like it. Let's do it. Well, I'm going to give a couple examples of the, the context that Steve had. And just in case people were listening earlier, and like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Did you say Talib and the cabbie at, at the venue in Steve's bar? Yeah, that night, that's back when training camp actually had two-a-days. And the Bucks team, yeah, and this is throughout the NFL, when training camp ended, 
it was uh, it was protocol for party every time. NFL team, yeah, to go out and party, have a big party, and celebrate no more two days. Well, the Bucks did do that, and they decided to go to Steve's Bar, the venue in Clearwater, and they were there that night. And of course, cocktails were served, beers were served, drinks were flowing. Guys got a little inebriated, and Talib was in there. I remember Steve telling me this. He was doing shots of some like $100, $100 a shot, you know, cognac of some sort. He's doing shots, and he's pretending like he's Greek or something, and he does a shot, he takes a shot glass. We're not talking gold cups here. We're talking like $10 shot glasses, just line driving them up against the wall, and they're splattering, and, uh, of course, you know, security comes up. Hey, you can't do that. And he goes, oh, it's all right, dog, and he whips out a roll of $100 bills, and he's whipping the $100 bills off like they're $1 bills. It's all right, dog. I got it, dog, and he kept, he kept doing that. He kept doing shots and throwing the shot glass up against the wall, it would shattered after the third time, like, you're out of here. So they threw Tlaib out. Two or three guys went with him. They hailed the cab, and shortly after they left in the cab was the incident. Uh, basically, Lee, one of his great sources of pride was all the Buccaneer shows that he used to do for the Buccaneers Radio Network, all those guys that he sort of groomed for media careers. and They would go know, to that bar. Well, no, it wasn't even the bar. It was... Um, you know, he took great pride that Booger, he did a show with Booger McFarlane and taught him the ropes and, and would sit down with these guys. Joey Galloway, Brooks, who was, you know, used to be on Sirius for years. It, it went on from there. Dave I mean, Moore. Uh, Moore, he did, um, I believe he first did the Keyshawn Johnson show yes, before yes. Keyshawn went off on his own. You know, he used to have his own show on DAE. But all those guys went on to tremendous media careers and he... He counseled them and believed that they could get into the media and uh, spent a lot of time with them on that. He, but he considered that his legacy in, in a lot of ways, at least in the media business. Well, there was also a thing, like I said, Rays players, after games, would stop at the venue on their way home. It was kind of a hot spot. For a while there, the venue was like the spot to go to, Dumig or no Dumig. It was like, uh, if you're 25 years old, you want to go to, you know, try to pick up women or vice versa, you went to the venue. I mean, it was that big of a, play, it was a, a pickup joint. And uh, so race players would stop there and see what they could do, you know, see if they got lucky on the way home. But at any rate, they would have a couple drinks and they'd tell, pay homage to Steve. It was like, almost like a scene of The Godfather or Goodfellas where the, the head mobster is at this bar and everybody wants to make sure they pat him on the back, say hi, buy him a drink, you know, just the respect. And that's what that was like, and very much so. And so race players would tell Steve some stuff. There was a couple of bartenders. Uh, that worked at the venue that dated race players. Uh, Scott Casimir's girlfriend. Yeah, that's the name I was thinking yeah, of. Yeah, Scott Casimir's yeah. girlfriend was one that worked there. And she had like stuff like you wouldn't believe that obviously um, beat writers for the Rays, they didn't have, but they would tell Steve. And my favorite was, now people may not know this, or at least it used to be this way, and you and I both covered the Tampa Yankees for the Tampa Tribune. So we got to know a lot of Yankees people, whether it be Yankees coaches, Yankees suits, was Cashman. I know Cashman, the general manager of the Yankees. His first name? Brian. Brian Cashman. Well, Brian Cashman is based in New York. The rest of the, the Yankees headquarters, the scouting department, the uh, minor league, all the, all the background stuff, they're based in Tampa. Well, a couple of those guys lived in Steve's condo complex. They would walk over to the venue. That was their hangout. And, of course, they had stuff that nobody would have that, you know, scuttled throughout the Major League Baseball, not just the Yankees or the Rays. And they would tip off Steve. And I was there one night, and one of the pitching coaches was ha doing, having drinks with Steve. We Just the three of us were talking for like two hours. And 
So when people that were actually working for newspapers that hated doing, oh, he doesn't show up at a clubhouse, doesn't show up, he didn't need to. His Rolodex or his contacts on his cell phone were impressive as hell. If he wanted the information, only thing he had to do was pick up his phone. He didn't have to go when the media told, or, or he didn't have to go when team officials said you could talk to these guys for 45 minutes. No, yeah. no, no, no. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it ran really deep when I first time I really had a one-on-one time with Joel Glazer. Mm-hmm. Uh, first thing he said to me was, I you know introduced myself, whatever. First thing he said to me was, oh, I recognize your voice. I'm like, oh, really? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I never miss uh, you guys on uh, with Steve Duman. I said, oh, you listen to the whole show? He's like, I listen to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do know, I do know that. There were times when Bucks officials, suits, not coaches, suits, would go to the venue to meet with Steve. Whether they were trying to push an agenda, whether they were going to talk to him, you name it. Now, that, that shows you what kind of power Steve had and influence. They would drive across, you know, like some people, I don't care, I'm from the Midwest, driving doesn't mean anything. But we know the culture in the Tampa sure, Bay area. Sure. Driving across the bridge is like driving to freaking Charleston, South Carolina. Sure. They would make the trip over here during rush hour to meet with Steve in a late afternoon, early evening at the venue to talk over where they never needed to talk over. Yeah, I mean, the sources and the information really was incredible. I mean, look, the guy did this show with Josh Freeman for all those years. They were close. Yes. They were tight. And, you know, if you're tight with the quarterback, you get a lot of information. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it was pretty cool, you know, just going back through the years, Steve really – he broke a lot of ground in, in so many ways on the radio. It really, it never, you know, even he was never afraid to take a lot of chances. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about putting us clowns on the air. <laughs> you know, I mean, look, the guy talked about his DUI on the air in detail yeah. and how, I mean, uh, and how it was going to go to court and what he was going to, how he was going to beat it because he didn't do this and that. Not a lot of people do that. That's not what your attorney recommends you do, you know? <laughs> no. the, the, the biggest thing that I remember about Steve's show, and like I said, he, he, he took some chances and he would talk about some issues that, 95% of sports talk show hosts wouldn't even think about touching, whether it be racial issues or society issues. He would go there. He had the cajones to go there. But, and you wrote about this. The, the thing that jumped out to me more than anything, to me, was journalism 101. You know, people always, everybody had an opinion about Pete Rose, whether it should be banned, should not be banned. Did anybody read the Dowd Report? No. No one read the Dowd Report because it was like a sort of a secret file. Well, Doombie got the file. It was a PDF file. He got it from Major League Baseball or wherever. He read the entire Dowd Report on the air. Now, I didn't agree with this conclusion, but I was just beyond impressed even to this day. 15, 20 years later, he actually read the entire Dowd Report on the radio so people can make their, you know, have the facts before them. And I just thought that was brilliant. And he was the only one who really went so deep on the air and really just, I mean, he had massive files. I remember he showed me. Oh, uh, Manila one day, Files, yeah. His Manila file on the Glazers and Man United. and they're Red Football. At Red Football and the whole linkage. And he, the guy put in so much time. Into, it was like, you know, we used to work with a guy who was a courts reporter at the Tribune who had these giant files. It was like that he... Literally put in that much time to find out, you know, what's the linkage, what's this, and uh, it was like a Terry Schiavo file. Exactly, <laughs> <laughs> he was completely. That's an inside joke. He was uh, completely um, obsessed with research mm-hmm. on so many fronts. And like I wrote, uh, Lee, you know, most radio hosts today they don't watch the games. They'll watch a highlight. They'll watch a little bit. But do they watch every game all the way through? No. And uh, he, he did. He really put in that that labor on uh, you know meaningless lightning games. And um, I'd go see him uh, pop in on him for a drink. On I knew the nights that he was was allowed out, if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, he always had, <laughs> he always had his legal pad with him watching yeah. the Rays. Well, you know? the, the, 
along those lines. I met him one time at that particular bar you're talking about. He walks in, waitress sees him. I mean, he, was, he didn't even take four steps inside the door. Waitress saw him. She walks up to his spot. He had his spot at the bar. There were two TVs in front of him. She walks up before he even got situated, before he even sat down. She puts two remotes in front of him. There you go, Steve. And there were two TVs in front of him. One TV was either Razor Lightning, and the other TV was whatever money he had or whatever game he had action on that night. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that point because he would do the two games at once and, yeah. and all that stuff. And uh, he had his yellow legal pad. He would take notes. And, uh, you know, really, uh, if you really were an avid listener of his show, it was the knowledge base that drove so much of, of what he did. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, just that whole college football show that he used to do. I mean, That was great. That was a phenomenal show. I didn't even really like it. It wasn't that big on college football, but uh, the guy's depth of knowledge – to do that after a full week of work and Saturday morning, he's bellowing out, you know, college football, every last league and, oh, you know, money on uh, this, uh, uh, you know, Mac game and all that other stuff. And, you know, he he put gambling on the radio in a big way yeah. in town, which, you know, that he just whatever he seemed to talk about, he didn't lose ratings for subjects that other people might mm-hmm. lose ratings for. I mean, he would even tell people. You know, his uh, favorite thing to scream out on his show, spoiler alert, he would tell people to sh- turn off the air, tur- turn off the radio for a little bit if you didn't want to hear him give yeah. a score or whatever and put it back on, which I'm sure drove uh, program directors nuts. <laughs> uh, but I got, was, a, uh, I got a funny story. And this, this is a throwback for all his fans that listened to him years and years ago because I'm going to drop a name here. Do you remember Chicago Billy? Chicago Bill is a notorious sports radio caller. And I guess those two guys were friends, but they got into it about something, and Dumig banned him on his show. And the only time Dumig would let him on the air was two times. One, whenever he did his annual tribute to Chris Thomas, he'd let Billy on the air for that. And Dumig used to have a golf show on Saturday mornings. He would let Billy call that show up. And I'll never forget one time, I don't know if it was a very, 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 very late Friday night for me or it was a very, 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 very early Saturday morning for me, but it was a Saturday morning slash late Friday night, and Dumig had a golf show, and Billy calls up screaming something about Tiger Woods. He's associating with the mafia. You know, it was typical Chicago Billy. (laughs) But Dumig would let him on his golf show, but not his weekday show. (laughs) <laughs> uh, what's funny you know steve uh, mike florio mike florio is one of the early guys on steve's show yeah. uh, one of the you know florio used to do a ton of national radio uh, excuse me he used to be interviewed in local markets with pro football talk in its early days that's how he built his name mm-hmm. he'd go he'd do 30 shows a week yeah and steve had him for an hour that was one of the few places where florio would go for a long time mm. or a long uh, stretch but he even had a beef with Florio and kicked him off the air. Yeah. And they had a spat. Florio, yeah. Yeah, and they had a spat for a while. Then they sort of kissed and made up. And uh, and then Florio stopped doing radio. But, uh, you know, Steve wouldn't let anybody show any level of disloyalty. Uh, he forgave me, I guess, because I think, I mean, if he, <laughs> if he were here, I could see him, see him already telling me no, no, no. But I think deep down he understood that the Raheem Morris stuff that we wrote, it would have been a disservice to ignore it. Yeah. And uh, it was on his show. It's like it's like, hey man, you, mm-hmm. you're the one who put it out there. And uh, but uh, you know, actually, um, I ended up going up to Raheem to apologize in Palm Harbor when he was at an event. At this Ra- very place where we're where broadcasting we're sitting, from. And, uh, Raheem got all frothy with me in the parking lot, and we were you know barking at each other. And 
Uh, he had had a couple of pops, and but he had his his uh, driver with him uh, as a signed driver. We eventually got DUI, and then uh, <laughs> yeah, and then Dumig, uh, uh, you know, Dumig's like, ah, and you had the nerve to go talk to Raheem. You, <laughs> it was a fun memory. The show itself that we had, Lee, though, um, I think. I mean, there were just a lot of great memories. We uh, had a. I know the people who listened. Uh, Dumig, uh, we were able to make him laugh. Yeah, and uh, which I think was. A big part of it, because a lot of the guests he's had through the years, Dumey had that trademark laugh, but sometimes he'd laugh at things. It was more of a, I want to say, a corporate-style laugh. Yeah. You know, like, you'd be ready to laugh and have a good time, but we'd really make him laugh sometimes, and uh, I'll never forget when he completely lost it, and he couldn't recover when he was laughing about the Vegas story you were yeah, telling. Yeah, Vegas story, And yeah. he literally couldn't recover <laughs> on the air, just the laughter. He could not stop. He was trying so hard. To <laughs> That's why he laughed. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that w- they let it go, and it was just a... Uh, <laughs> he'd be, have a big roar that he'd cackle. Yeah, it was a, a classic moment, and, uh, you know, we'll talk with Ira on the next Ira podcast about, you know, Ira used to sit down with him. It was uh, Radio Gold every year at the Super Bowl. They would sit and talk Hall of Fame, and uh, I, you know, even oh, uh, that was, that was great. even before I knew Ira too well or at all, really, uh, in, in a personal way, I was always, oh, when's that going to be on? That's on every year. I got to listen to that. One of the funniest lines, and this is typical me, one of the funniest lines I heard in that show, it was from Ira. It was from the Super Bowl, Super Bowl uh, radio row, and Ira was talking about, you know, if you got to think about if a guy's a Hall of Famer or not, maybe he's not a Hall of Famer. And as Ira's talking about this, he goes, it's like that girl just walked by, Steve. You got to wonder if she's a Hall of Famer or not. Steve, she's a Hall of Famer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a good one. But Dumig let us um, let us do our thing, and, and it just worked. And you know, we are always appreciated it. Uh, but I would never, honestly, I would never let Steve know that, uh, that I just wouldn't give him the satisfaction of, of thinking that he was uh, doing us a favor, you know, because I didn't think the show, I mean, I, I knew that he was. And uh, he understood that from our first meeting, but it could never be uh, a topic. He had it had to have that barroom feel, like ah, do it, you moron, or whatever. Mm-hmm. If if that was the case, and uh, you know, it was really unique that he let us do that. I remember, you know, some of the guys at, even at DAE saying, you know, it's just really cool that you guys will you know do that, you know. And he would uh, let you go on some wild rants at times. Well, and, what was funny was, um, you know, we talked about this earlier, where Dumick would get direct messages on Twitter from people in the Bucks media room while we're on the air. And there was one time where, you know, they were like, oh, you guys sound like a bunch of clowns. It's horrible radio. Blah, blah. You know, especially the guys that wanted it to be NPR. Right. Meanwhile, as I also said earlier, one of the executives said that was the highest rated hour of the week. Out of touch. Well, he understood. He, he got it. And, um, you know, he was a big fan of uh, local media. You know, he would he didn't hesitate to bring different guys on at different times. Oh, remember uh, John Cody? He wanted to shoot John Cody at one time or another. John Cody was a reporter with the, uh, t- uh, at the time, St. Petersburg Times. And I guess Cody wrote some story that, that really, like, you know, to what you're saying, it really intrigued Steve. They had him on, and it was like nothing had ever happened in the past. Those two guys were cat and dog, man. Yeah, it was definitely not afraid to... Um if he thought something was good, if he thought it was good, he just went with it. Uh, if he didn't like it, he'd go with it too. He got a little, little bit softer later on. He wouldn't call people out in the same, uh, same way. But uh, you know, uh, soft for him was was tough for, for, <laughs> for any, still Bruce for everybody else. You know, it was uh, fun to sit around, and it, we could. The more we think about it, the more stories we could tell. Sure. Uh, going beyond and beyond. Uh, I it was two thousand three. I want to say. 
maybe 2001, I don't remember, but, you know, he was in that syndicate with Chris Thomas, with the horse syndicate. Yes, and, and uh, like Gail Sarens owned a hoof, and, and Bob Hyde owned a, a tail. And Well, they put together that partnership, yeah. and I was working, I was the horse racing beat rider at the Tribune, and I started doing that in 2000, and I think it was 01 or 02, so I got, you know, Dumig into gambling and stuff, he, you know, he, uh, he knew who I was from that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was tasked to write a feature on Superfuse, which was the, That's right. the one Super great Fuse. horse from the Chris Thomas stables, I think it yeah. was even called. And so I had to go talk to Chris Thomas about his, his horse. The crazy thing was is that this was, this was like Chris Thomas's lifelong dream. Yeah. This, this horse was like his, his baby, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the horse had made... Uh, even though it was gelded. <laughs> and the horse had made them a lot of money because he went off at 33 to 1 in the first race. And if you own the horse, you bet on your horse to win and see what happens. So 33 to 1, and it really it got them even more into it. And I remember for that feature, whoever the editor was of the Tribune, they told me, oh, you got to talk to Steve Dumick. You know, he's in, he's in the mix. And I'm like, all right. He eventually called me back, and he was very skeptical. He's like, uh, what, what angle are you taking here? What are you doing with I don't know why exactly, guys. I didn't know him that well then, uh-huh. but he was very skeptical. But I talked to him, and uh, he had been burned a couple times in the past by the fourth estate, and so he was skeptical whenever someone wanted to interview. He was very skeptical, but I ended up spending the day with Chris Thomas. Um, oh wow! Uh, back at the you know behind the scenes at the track, and met the horse and the whole thing. Wow! And, and um, so that was an interesting day. But they were very happy with the story, and then from there, uh, I occasionally I'd be in touch with Dumig. On email, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, then it sort of built from there. But was uh, Superfuse the horse? I remember Dumig chewed out listeners one time because a bunch of listeners went and bet on this horse, knowing nothing about the horse, but they thought it would be cool to bet on Dumig's horse. Yeah, and yeah. he chewed out the listeners because it screwed up the odds. Yeah, that, and that, <laughs> you know, and, and that went on to hap- that went on to happen uh, with some of Jim Rome's horses when he oh, got really? into horse racing. And yeah, I mean, uh, the odds are all based on how much money where the action's going. So. It became a little bit of a problem, but not in that first race when they when they nailed it at thirty three to one. And Calder, right? Uh, maybe I okay. don't remember. I don't. But good for you if you remember. <laughs> now, fun times and uh, hey, for the, what the guy pulled off for appointment listening was uh, a rarity in this market and really in any market. Like and you had mentioned it for the story we put together. If you have people driving around on a Sunday night or a Thursday after Thursday night after a Rays game, and they're thinking in their heads, "What's this guy going to say at three o'clock? I better be ready." Uh, Mark Topkin, I'll close it with this, Lee. Mark Topkin, longtime Rays beat writer, was on the air talking about Doomy the other day, and he said, "You know, the Rays used to practice later, or they used to open up uh, the practice facility later, and it was at like three fifteen. It was open access, and I didn't want to miss anything, but." After certain times, I just had to I had to hear what Dumick was going to say because he would set the narrative of of the whole town on a Rays game and yeah. and as well as for ownership was paying attention. And I needed to sort of if I wanted to put it all together, I needed to know what he said so I knew what they might be reacting to. Ah. And he'd be like, I'd sit in my car and then I'd have to run in to not miss anything. But sometimes I'd be like, hey, Dumick, get to the point. What are you going to say? You know, <laughs> um, so it's just to have that sort of power in town, and you know, Monday after a Bucks game uh, for years, it was, it was a big deal. Yeah. All right, fun stuff. We'll hit some more Doomic stuff, and uh, good times. We appreciate everybody who enjoyed the uh, Joe Bucks fan hour, and I'll probably I've been digging into old episodes, and uh, I'll probably put another one up at some point, especially in the summer when it might be a little fun. Uh, 
Uh, some of the some of the ones from 2015 are out there, so uh, I'll either <laughs> put them up like I did or dig some out. Uh, downloadable stuff uh, for everybody to enjoy. Well, if you're still here, I'm assuming you're a Steve Dumig fan and you enjoyed that chat that Lee and I just had, thinking back on some memories of the big dog and just telling some stories and listening to it myself. I feel like I left 37 things out, so many more things to talk about that related to Steve's real impact on the Buccaneers organization, on all the sports teams in town, uh, what a huge influencer he was for so many years he just really shaped a lot of things himself and uh, with the power of his voice and really the uh, audience demands power and he had it and uh, it was just interesting the way he chose to use it and go about it he really did love the the teams in town even though he'd clobber them and that you know he went after certain things but it was always out of pure passion I think most people at least saw that it was authentic uh, because it really was and that's really the best kind of um, opinion media. And there's a lot of stuff that's not authentic out there. A lot of people operating in fear for various reasons and having, uh, you know, second thoughts about just being themselves. We'll miss you, big dog. We'll probably tell some more stories. But one I want to leave you with just to give you an idea, because it was the Bucks back in 2010. The Bucks drafted Mike Williams, and I gave a phone call after they drafted him to a guy named Bob Casulo, who was Chucky's tight ends coach in 07 and 08. And he was uh, a former assistant head coach or something at Syracuse when Mike Williams was there, but he had off-the-field off issues. If you remember, I think it was Doug Marone kicked him off the team and, you know, all that stuff. Marone was the Syracuse coach. Well, Casulo had been around, and... Um, I called him, and he had coached in the NFL for years, and I talked to Casulo about Williams, on the record, off the record, whatever, but in that conversation, I talked to Casulo about Jeremy Stevens, who, of course, we all know his all the rape accusations and the exposés that were written out of Seattle, and Casulo knew him, and there was a huge firestorm when Stevens came to the Bucks. And Steve Dumig was leading the charge to this guy, get him off the damn team. He was very vocal about it. And uh, it was a, a long topic of conversation. It must have been brutal on the Buccaneers to hear that getting pounded day after day in the Jeremy Stevens stuff. Anyway, I talked to Casulo about Jeremy Stevens. And, you know, when they brought him to the Bucks, Casulo said, look, we thought we'd give the guy a second chance and we had talked about it and blah, blah, blah. And I knew him. I vouched for him and Chucky this and that. Well, turns out Casulo starts telling me about how Steve Dumick, the big dog, was so in Chucky's head about Jeremy Stevens that Chucky was legitimately distracted and legitimately, you know, was thinking too much about Stevens succeeding and and that it was just you know, it was keeping him up at night. And this, I didn't even ask about Chucky. How is Chucky affected by Dumig? That's not why I asked Casulo. We were just talking about players who had been, had troubles off the field and bringing him in. And Casulo went there about how Steve Dumig was in his head, uh, in, in Gruden's head for a, a couple of years. So it, it gives you one little glimpse. I know Lee told the story of uh, Chucky drunk dialing uh, big dog. And, you know, there was more to that conversation. They ended up chatting for a bit in uh in that uh sort of a 
midnight uh, kind of scenario. But anyway, fun stuff. Uh, we'll miss you, Steve. Big dog. Uh, we'll talk about you again. I think we're going to even do a Doomig page on Joe Bucks fan because, you know, why the hell not? And Steve would have loved it. And why not? So I hope you enjoyed the podcast. And uh, is it back? Is it back? My commitment is, yeah, that it, it is back. And uh, we're going to keep this thing rolling. I've, the changes in my world uh, are going to make that a hell of a lot easier. And especially uh, to get in that rhythm over the summer is going to be super easy. So I'm excited. I'm excited for Bill Curry Ford, our great friends there. And they're nearly 60 years now of serving the Tampa area. They're an institution. And they're back in a big way with general manager Sean Sullivan. Tell them you heard about Bill Curry Ford on Joe Buck's fan. And uh, just uh, trust him. That's all I can tell you. Trust Sean Sullivan. You can email him. You can call him. You can pop in. But you can shop now at BillCurryFord.com. Thanks again, everybody. We appreciate your support for JoeBucksFan.com.